0: M-S-W-Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. Today, Pelosi announces she will name a select committee to investigate the insurrection. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin supports removing decisions on prosecuting military sexual assault cases from military commanders. Trump asked the Department of Justice and the FCC to make Saturday Night Live stop making fun of him. Manchin backs debate. Of the For the People Act. As Kamala Harris says, she'll preside over the vote tonight in the Senate. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has stayed the ruling overturning the assault weapons ban in California, and Reuters stirs the pot at Maine Justice. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Oh my gosh, so much breaking news. So much. It won't stop breaking, AG. It just will not stop breaking. Like uh. as we sit, it is happening. Later in the show, I want to let you know I'm going to be talking to Sarah Beth Rosenberg. She is the uh, host of the PBS NewsHour uh, Extra Educator Series. And we're going to be talking about what critical race theory is and how Republicans are stupid. And today, the Senate just voted 50 50 with all 50 Senate Republicans voting against opening debate on voting rights. A lot of people are asking why Kamala Harris presided over this uh, vote. A lot of people are asking why Kamala didn't cast the tiebreaker. It's because you need 60 votes because of the filibuster to. to do that thing where you do the thing in the Senate. And uh, so we only had 50. So there was no need for her to do a tie-breaking vote because her vote wouldn't break a tie. Uh, but it's important to note all 50 Senate Republicans voted
1: against opening debate. All, and of them. all of them, not even Romney, not even Murkowski, all of them. Yep, all 50. And right after that, as if it was
0: some sort of kismet in the timing, Nancy Pelosi announced, she told her colleagues, she will name a select committee to investigate the insurrection. So that will be happening, which is good news.
1: I mean, maybe we'll get lucky and 10 Republicans will be found guilty of inciting this insurrection and be thrown off the Senate because it seems to be the only fucking way we're going to get rid of the filibuster with Mansion and Cinema in there. I'm so angry.
0: I know. I know. Me too. And honestly, I do not think that we're going to get voting rights through this Senate. I think the whole reason to hold this vote today, a lot of people are, saying, why did Schumer even bring it to a vote? It's so he could get the Republicans on the record, all of them voting against even debating voting rights in the United States and to use that against them in 2022. So hopefully we can get a few more Senate seats, reform and or kill the filibuster and actually do stuff.
1: That would be nice. That's our hope. That is still our hope. Yes.
0: So um, a couple other announcements. You have a show
1: coming up in uh, it, August 14th. I do. I've got two shows coming up. I've got one July 8th in uh, Palm Springs. That's a free show at Hunter's. It's a bar show with three other comics. And then I've got my solo long show in Cherry Grove, Fire Island, August 14th. Tickets are available for that one at um, artsprojectcg.org. Mm. So, yeah. And you do <laughs> yeah. I get to say this, I'm putting you on the spot because I got a text from you that said, Dana,
0: <laughs> apparently people have conflated me stopping comedy with covid uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and somebody reached out and, and wanted to book me at the Laugh Factory in Long Beach uh, for the 4th of July for a G.I.'s of comedy show.
1: Come on, and I, that's a no-brainer. I I,
0: I, I, had to say yes. I was so flattered. No, 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 no. I, I, I was so flattered by the offer that i had to say yes so uh you can catch me july 4th 7 p.m laugh factory long beach if you're a girl <laughs> i just have to go and listen to my old tapes and figure out what jokes
1: i'm gonna tell <laughs> isn't it funny and when we say tapes, she means a vhs <laughs> <laughs> literally cassette tapes i need
0: to put on my vinyl oh, and man. there's uh, an
1: a-track somewhere with her type 15
0: my Betamax. And remember my jokes. (laughs) So uh, anyway, cool, Uh, cool, cool beans. We do have uh, a lot of news to get to, though. That's what I do here during this show. Uh, So let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. I had one lead story. I had to scrap it to go with this lead story because this is breaking news. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, for the first time, said today he will support long debated changes to the military justice system that would remove decisions on prosecuting sexual assault cases from military commanders. Yay. This is where we get the stadium applause sound. Now, in a statement obtained by the Associated Press, Austin said he supports taking those sexual assault and related crimes away from the chain of command and let independent military lawyers handle them. The Pentagon has long resisted such a change, but Austin and other senior leaders are slowly acknowledging that the, it's taken a decade are slowly acknowledging that the military has failed to make progress against sexual assault and that changes are needed. Been saying, Dana, been saying for about a decade. Yes. Austin pledged to work with Congress to make the changes, saying they will give the department real opportunities to finally end the scourge of sexual assault and sexual harassment in the military. The statements came a day before Austin testifies to the House Armed Services Committee amid escalating pressure from Congress to take concrete steps to address sexual assault. Austin's memo, however, does not express any view on legislation that would make broader changes to the military justice system and require that independent lawyers handle all major crimes. We know this legislation. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Mm -hmm. a Democrat from New York, has the support of 66 senators for a bill that would have independent prosecutors handle, handle felonies that call for more than a year in prison. That includes sexual assault. But other key lawmakers and leaders of the military services have balked. At including all major crimes, saying stripping control of all crimes from commanders could hurt military readiness, erode command authority and require far more time and resources. Until now, Austin has said publicly he was open to changes recommended by an independent review commission that he appointed to take a look at sexual assault and harassment in the military. The panel said sexual assault, sexual misconduct, domestic violence, stalking, retaliation, child sexual assault and the wrongful distribution of photos should be removed from the chain of command. In recent weeks, military service secretaries and chiefs in memos to Lloyd Austin and letters to Capitol Hill said they were wary about the sexual assault change and laid out greater reservations on more broadly revamping the military justice system because it works so fucking well. (laughs) In a letter to Senator James Inhofe of Oklahoma, who's the ranking Republican on the Senate Armed Services Committee, Milley acknowledged the military has not made sufficient progress in combating sexual assault. He has repeatedly said, though, he's open to sexual assault change. The independent review panel Monday presented Austin with an expansive set of recommendations to combat sexual assault in the military, including prevention, command climate, victim care and support. Quote, generally, they appear strong and well grounded. Austin said, I have directed my staff to do a detailed assessment and implementation plan for my review and approval. Austin said he will present his recommendations to President Biden in the coming days, but has noted that the changes will require additional personnel funding and authorities. The ones that can be done under existing authority will be given priority. That's the low hanging fruit that he can do himself. Mm -hmm. But other changes may take more time and will need help from Congress. That's the M.I.J.A. That's the bill. That's the Kirsten Gillibrand bill. So I'm very excited about this. I hope the bill passes soon.
1: I hope it does as well. Changes. It's time. It is time. Uh, This next story, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit has blocked. And this is good news. A federal judge's ruling overturning California's longtime ban on assault weapons in which The judge likened an AR-15 to a Swiss army knife. Yeah, don't we remember that? Oh, boy. So on Monday, in a one-page order, a three-judge panel issued a stay for the June 4th order from U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez of the Southern District of California, in which the judge ruled that sections of the state ban that had been in place since 1989 regarding military-style rifles is somehow unconstitutional. So the three-judge panel wrote that the stay will remain in place pending the outcome of another case challenging the ban. Quote, the stay shall remain in effect until further order of this court. And that's what the panel wrote. Now, the lower court decision by Benitez, an appointee of George Bush, uh, W, of George W. Bush, gained nationwide attention when he called the state's ban, quote, a failed experiment and said the assault weapons that Californians are barred from using are not bazookas, howitzers or machine guns but rather fairly ordinary popular modern rifles but it was his comparison of an ar-15 to a swiss army knife that received the most attention you went too far Benitez. Uh, like the swiss army knife this is a quote from this guy like the swiss army knife the popular ar-15 rifle is a perfect combination of home defense weapon and homeland defense equipment I'm sorry, what? he said that doesn't 94- work a, so for the for the gun manufacturer. I know. What kind of a commercial is this? Does
0: That's- he like stand up and pull one out from under his robes and says, shop smart? Shop smart. Ugh.
1: That was in a 94-page ruling that he gave, that ridiculous statement. He also has ruled in favor of gun rights multiple times since he was confirmed by the Senate in 2004. He previously ruled that California's ban on high-capacity magazines was unconstitutional and struck down a restriction on remote purchases of gun ammunition. The state is appealing both decisions. You know what happens to a gun AG when you put a high-capacity magazine attachment onto it? It turns into a machine gun. Well, it, it
0: turns into a weapon that can kill way more people before you reload it.
1: Correct. <laughs> mm-hmm. Machine guns are the firing per second. These semi-automatic weapons. I just I'm, it, I'm so glad they put a stay on this. This is ridiculous. As a Californian, I would I would like this to to. I, I want the ban in place. It's yeah. for more safety, period. Yeah.
0: To be clear, the high capacity magazines don't make a semi-automatic weapon automatic and they don't like right. a uh, a non automatic, automatic, semi-automatic, but they do have buttons that do that for high-capacity magazines. You. So yes, that you please, can shoot. Don't yeah. please don't write in. Please don't write in. That you can shoot twenty <laughs> bullets in a shorter amount of time than it takes you to normally shoot ten. It's stupid. Thank you. Thank you. Nobody needs to be able to shoot twenty, thirty, forty, a hundred rounds before you reload. Nobody no. needs
1: to. No you know what? That. If you don't want to redo the rules, you don't want to redo the Second Amendment. Fine. Then let's just use muskets because that. I mean, I can get behind. If you're going to keep this in place, everyone gets a musket.
0: Yeah. With the Swiss Army knife on the end of it. That's it. Uh, Next up, Reuters put out a very irresponsible headline today I wanted to address. It's not an inaccurate headline, but it is a a headline designed to piss you off. It, It says Biden's Justice Department may defend Trump in the Capitol riot lawsuits. Allow me to put that headline into real words for you. What it should say is a lawyer told someone that he's worried that the Justice Department could represent Trump in the insurrection lawsuits because they're going to represent him in the Eugene Carroll lawsuit. That's what the story says.
1: Wow, that caught fire because I didn't even see the explanation.
0: Yeah, nobody did. Nobody reads the articles. They just read the headlines. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm not blaming anybody for that. It's an irresponsible headline. The lawyer is Philip Andonian. He's representing Eric Swalwell in the civil suit against Trump for inciting the insurrection. One of the two so far civil suits, the other one with the NAACP and uh, Benny Thompson. I want to be clear. No one in the Department of Justice has said that they intend to represent Trump in the Swalwell and Benny Thompson suits. No one has said that. Andonian says that the E. Jean Carroll case appears to put no limits on immunity for speech by a sitting president. And that's why he fears that the Department of Justice could defend Trump in the civil suits for inciting the insurrection. I didn't read it that way. Uh, and the DOJ would need to agree if they did that, that Trump's speech inciting the insurrection falls under his duties as president. Now, that doesn't mean I think Trump lying about raping E. Jean Carroll falls into that category And make no mistake, if the Department of Justice says they will defend Trump in the insurrection lawsuits, I'll be pissed because that means the Department of Justice thinks that his speech inciting the riots was part of his job, just part of his job. Uh, I I don't see Garland agreeing to this, but if he does, it would mean the Department of Justice is probably not going to investigate Trump at all for inciting the riot. The brief filed by the Department of Justice in the E. Jean Carroll case said Trump was acting within the scope of his office when he made those statements. Quote, elected officials can and often must address allegations that inspire doubt about their suitability for office. Speaking to the public and the press on matters of public concern is undoubtedly part of an elected official's job. That's very specific to the E. Jean Carroll case, and I disagree with it. But inciting the insurrection was not Trump addressing allegations that inspired doubt about his suitability for office. It was it, nor was his incitation of the insurrection an answer to a question from the press. In, in the E. Jean Carroll case, a, a member of the press corps asked him, "What about the E. Jean Carroll case?" And he said, "She's lying. She's not my type, etc." And that's what E. Jean Carroll is suing for. That that what he said in response to that press conference question was defamation. Right. DOJ says he was defending the presidency of the United States. The office of the president of the United States, when he made those statements, it's a stretch. I think it's stupid. I'm not saying I'm not agree. I'm not saying oh, I agree. we're
1: both on the same page. We're just explaining.
0: I don't think this extends to the incitation of the insurrection. Personally, I believe the DOJ will not defend Trump in these suits, if at the very least for a conflict of interest, because they're currently prosecuting people for the insurrection. And whether or not they have evidence or even believe that Trump is guilty of the crime of inciting the riot, they are investigating it and therefore probably can't defend him in civil suits about the same matter. But I'm not a lawyer. I'm certainly not Swalwell's lawyer. Uh, and he seems to be worried that, that you know, the the e. and Carroll case is a slippery slope to defending Trump in the insurrection cases. Uh, they, he, they may, they may not. All I'm saying is let's not let's reserve judgment until we know what the Department of Justice is going to do. Let's not attack the Department of Justice for something they haven't said they will do yet. That's all I'm saying.
1: And I think you did a good job of putting the story in perspective because I know that I'm not the only person. And listen, I didn't jump to any conclusion. All I saw was the Twitter shitfire storm that came out of it. And I appreciate the clarity. So,
0: yeah. And Dana,
1: I I know you're just so sweet. You are so sweet to me lately. So listen, in March of 2019, the former guy, He had just watched an episode of Saturday Night Live. Now, this wasn't even a new episode, everyone. It was a rerun. And he grew immediately incensed that the show was gently mocking him. Now, we all know this man has a thinnest skin. On the fucking planet So And I quote It's truly inconceivable That shows like Saturday Night Live Not funny No talent Can spend all their time Mocking the same person Me Over and over Without so much Of a mention Of the other side I just That's how I'm gonna read All of his quotes He tweeted that long before he was banned from Twitter for inspiring a violent mob Uh, like any advertisement, any other advertisement without consequences. Same with late night shows. Should federal election commissions and or FCC look into this? Uh, It was on its face a ridiculous question and a threat as SNL is obviously satire and therefore a form of protected speech in America that pissed off commander in chief. Have no authority to directly subvert. They just can't. However, the then president, the former guy, he went farther than simply tweeting his displeasure with the late-night comedians and SNL writers' room. The internal discussions that followed between the former leader of the free world and some of his political and legal advisors once again underscored just how much the former guy wanted to use the full weight of the power of the U.S. government to punish his personal enemies. So according to two people familiar with this matter, Trump had asked advisors and lawyers in early 2019 about what the Federal Communications Commission, the court system, and most confusingly to some Trump lieutenants, the Department of Justice could do to probe or mitigate Saturday Night Live, Jimmy Kimmel. And other late night comedy mischief makers, like mischief, mischief makers. makers. <laughs> he, he's a stuff. I feel like it's just a weird like Scooby Doo episode. They're just mischief makers.
0: <laughs> I'd still be president if it weren't for those meddling kids. Oh, my God. If it wasn't
1: for the meddling Stacey Abrams. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I he's, I, he's a fucking child. I, no, you I know. You know what? Know. That's offensive to children. He yeah. is. I, I don't even know how to explain him. He's the most thin skinned. Person I've ever come into experience with in my life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people are like, I cannot believe he went to the Department of Justice to try to get them to shut down Saturday Night Live or to investigate Saturday Night Live. I'm like, I can believe it. A hundred percent. I can totally believe it.
1: That's not an onion. If that was an article and someone was like, that's the onion, I'd have been like, no, that's probably the New York Times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope Saturday Night Live does a sketch about Trump trying to get the Department of Justice to stop Saturday Night Live from doing sketches about him. I hope
1: that's so meta. Kate McKinnon would have to play Garland, like, do it now, like as if he's going now just as a civilian.
0: <laughs> oh, do it, do it, and then and then and then taunt the Department of Justice. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? Oh my God, that's so funny. Ah, anyway, wow. Uh, joining me next, though, to discuss critical race theory, what it is and what it isn't, is the host of the PBS Newshour Extra Educator Series, Sarah Beth Rosenberg. Stay with us.
1: After these messages, we'll be right back.
0: Hello, beans listeners. It's Allison. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by Titan. If any of you guys have tried to get into the investment game, you know it's hard. Wall Street pretty much ignores us, uh, the everyday investor, and they cater to the rich people. And for way too long, average investors have been neglected. We get the same old generic advice. Buy index funds, you know, don't be too risky. Meanwhile, the ultra-rich people get access to premium investment strategies and white-glove service. But you don't have to eat the rich. What you need to do is listen to Titan. these, These folks created Titan because of that divide. That divide didn't sit well with them. And they introduced a world-class investment manager for the rest of us. Thanks to Titan, now everyday investors can have capital invested like premier investment firms invest for rich people, all through the Titan mobile app. Titan's goal is to give you access to the best investment experience in the world, but without the high minimums or performance fees or hidden fees or weird fees or lockouts or lockups. Their in-house investment team, they invest your capital using award-winning strategies, deliver daily research updates via the Titan app all to your phone. Titan aims to grow your capital over the long term because what they do is they identify a stock's known as compounders and they grab them and hold on tight for you. With Titan, it's like having an elite investment manager in your pocket. And at Titan, they don't just expertly invest your capital. They actually explain everything to you because they know you're a grown-up and you'll understand it. By giving their clients courtside seats, you guys can become the smartest investors in the world. Titan manages hundreds of millions of dollars for 25,000 clients and counting. And they were named 2020 top investment app of the year by US News. So if you're thinking about investing, I highly recommend you check out Titan first. To get started, just download the Titan app. Start investing with Titan today. You'll get three months with zero fees. That's zero fees by going to TitanVest.com slash Daily Beans. That's T-I-T-A-N-V-E-S-T dot com slash Daily Beans. You get three months with zero fees. Again, TitanVest.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, uh, we are joined again by uh, my friend, award-winning U.S. history teacher and writer and host of the PBS NewsHour Extra Educator Series. Please welcome Sari Beth Rosenberg. Sari, hello.
2: Thanks so much for having me today. I wanted
0: to, I'm so excited to bring you back because I need to get a clear definition in my head of what critical race theory and or CRT is because it was, it's my understanding You know, right now, uh, a bunch of Republicans in red states are banning critical race theory being taught in elementary school because it'll corrupt our children and make America look bad. But it never was taught to elementary school children. At least that's my understanding. So can you talk a little bit about what critical race theory is and who is who teaches this?
2: Absolutely. So critical race theory is not taught, has never been taught and therefore will never be taught in K through 12 education systems anywhere in America. It's taught in law school. And I've heard from friends who've gone to law school that they might not even learn about critical race theory depending on what field they're pursuing within the legal system, right? So critical race theory is not a thing, as they say. And to me, I mean, the way I like to explain it is that this is yet again, the evil genius marketing and messaging of the right. So what, what we're really talking about here, when we use the phrase critical race theory, we're talking about anti-racism education. And what's the opposite of anti-racism <laughs> I'll give you an option. it's that that was a bad that was a poorly worded test Ms. Rosenberg. The opposite of anti-racism is racism. So the right can't say we are against teaching anti-racism because well that means that what they 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 want to teach about racism right? They don't want us teaching about slavery, institutionalized racism, anything that makes people uncomfortable about America's past. Hmm.
0: You know this smacks of the anti-trans bills that we see in a lot of states, where they're you know where they don't want trans kids competing in sports. And the or the reason I say it smacks of that is because every time uh, a, a lawmaker in a state is asked, "Can you give us an example of when, uh, for example, a trans girl competed in in, in sports in your school?" And uh, somebody was somebody had their rights trampled upon, or you know whatever uh, there's never there's never an example. and so it's creating out of whole cloth a problem that doesn't exist, right? And so that's kind of what I see here as well and it's it's and and the other kind of other side of this is that they turn around. And accuse Democrats of identity politics.
2: Right. This is yet, they're, 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 once again, it's another iteration of putting the classroom at the center of the culture wars. And making up, it, it's another part of the uh, trend of the big lie, right? Because at the end of the day, talk to one, I, I challenge anyone listening to this show right now ask anyone who teaches K through 12 if they teach about critical race theory, and they will say, what's that? Also, then when you tell them what it is, they'll say, nope, don't teach that. Do I teach that slavery happened in America? Yes, because it did. I'm a history teacher. I teach what happened. Do I teach that racism is a sad part of American history, structural racism? Does that still exist today? Yes. Because I teach we teach in facts in social studies. And it's not opinion to say that racism exists. It's not opinion to say that there was slavery, that there was actually chattel slavery in America. And I like to believe that once you define these terms and just get rid of this very clever marketing and messaging that the right has created to win elections and not really help americans i think that once we get through the bs of this marketing messaging and and just speak in plain English to American people, I want to believe, and maybe I'm still naive after all these years, that most people want America to be a great place for everyone. They want people's lives to be um, give, you know, give options to people to live equitable and equal lives. Now, the people in power might not want that. They don't want to lose their political power and the money they make from it. But the majority of Americans are not profiting off of that. I think they want to live good, decent, honest lives and they want their kids to learn the true story of America, the good, the bad and the ugly. And that involves slavery. Sorry, it does. So it
0: seems like the marketing message from the right is the purposeful conflation of critical race theory with actually teaching facts of history and not just facts of history, not just that slavery happened, but how it impacts us today and continues to impact us today uh and also Native American indigenous people history um any any sort of bad thing white people did is now being labeled critical race theory and and I think that that's sort of what the right has glommed onto and is trying to make their voters believe and they they you know I will say this for the Republicans as despicable and disgusting as their messages are they're simple and they get them across and they repeat them it's repetitive. And uh, I think that that's sort of the uphill battle that we're con- constantly fighting against the right. And, and, you know, you talk about the big lie as well. Uh, you know, that's sort of we all we get pushed down. We have to keep trudging back up with facts and reality.
2: Yeah. And I think they do often I'll give them something and, and they they do an amazing job with messaging it's lying, but it's, it's messaging that sticks because they use terms like critical race theory. It sounds scary. It also, the other thing to keep in mind that this is a stand-in for saying I've been called a Marxist because I'm a public high school teacher. It's just a stand-in for Marxists. It's a stand-in for socialist. These terms that actually aren't scary either, uh, uh, to be honest, um, but they've become stand-ins for a threat to my way of life a threat to what I've defined America as, and really, in the end, a threat to my power that I somehow think I can't share if other people get a piece of the piece of the pie as well.
0: Yeah, well, they turn these into bad words. They've turned liberal into a bad word. When you look at what it means, it's it's a pretty great word. I, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the big lie because I think that this plays, it's almost like the hub of everything that any of these uh, conflations sort of lead back to. But I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Allison. And today's show is brought to you by the good folks at Apostrophe. I absolutely love this service because I've gotten so much bad skincare advice uh, over my life. And really, I should have just stuck to a board certified dermatologist. And that's what Apostrophe does for you. When I was first experiencing acne as a teenager, I got really bad advice. Somebody actually told me to rub alcohol on my face. <laughs> It just gets bad. But you know what does work? Like I said, prescription treatments. That's why we're excited to partner with Apostrophe. They sponsored this episode. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company. They offer science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear up acne. Apostrophe connects you with a board-certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan that is perfectly tailored for your skin and your needs. You just fill out their online quiz. It's super easy. You, you talk about your skin goals. You give them your little medical history, snap a few selfies, and then your dermatologist will create your customized treatment plan. Apostrophe treats acne, but they can also help you hit other skin care goals like reducing redness, uh, wrinkles, and even dark spots. I also got some uh, wrinkle care because, you know, we were wearing masks so often. The eyes were what everybody was seeing. And then you can end up getting like the maskne, right? Acne under your mask. So those are the two things I wanted. They hit my goals. I absolutely love what I got. I got a real, first of all, real dermatologist. My plan was tailored for me. Submitting my visit was quick and easy. I didn't have to schedule an appointment or even leave my house. And I didn't have to go to the pharmacy and wait in line to get my meds. They sent them right to me. And the prescription medications feel great on my skin. They're very smooth and silky. They've absorbed nicely. They're light. They don't feel heavy. And we have a special deal for you. Save $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com beans. When you use code beans, this code is only available to you. So to get started, go to apostrophe.com slash beans and click begin visit, then use the code beans at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's apostrophe, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash beans and use the code beans to get that dermatology visit. So with $15 off, that means your visit with a board certified dermatologist is only $5. You will never find that with any other health plan. Again, just so, so simple. Apostrophe.com slash beans. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the episode. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking with the host of the PBS NewsHour Extra Educator Series, Sarah Beth Rosenberg. And before the break, you had mentioned, as we were talking about uh, teaching, not whitewashing history, teaching facts. I mean, that's what history is. It's facts, things that happened in the past Mm -hmm. and how they impact us today. And you mentioned the big lie. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because recent studies have shown, and I've talked about this on the show before, that the number one issue that insurrectionists have in America, the people who, attacked the capital they've found that they're mostly white men older 35 to 45 i know that's not old but you know older than young people and uh, that they don't come from ruby red districts they don't come from rural red america they come from uh, blue cities that voted for biden and their number one concern is what they're calling the great replacement and that just completely has everything to do with whitewashing history And they fear that and we know that this was going to happen and it's happening that, you know, eventually and not not too far in the future, white men are going to become a minority in this country. And they're terrified by that.
2: Yeah. And that's what that's that's what they're fighting for. That's what this as they would probably say, not in mixed company. That's what this fight is all about. They use coded language that is so obvious. Mm. It is, a, it is a battle, again, it is a battle for keeping their power and keeping their ability to define what America is and is not. And and as a social studies teacher, it makes my job even more important. And I don't, you know, I teach primarily BIPOC students, but I, sometimes I wish I taught in, in a different district sometimes, because I think we also need to reach white, young people who are are coming from families that are misguided in their views of what a more pluralistic uh, America means for them. And I think there's, you know, from, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of anger uh, among these people. And I, 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 if they hadn't, you know, tried to hang our congress people and destroy our democracy i could feel a little bit of empathy for them because they're so misguided unfortunately they're attacking my country and our democracy so i can't feel that empathy but i think it does come back to a fear and a lack of understanding of what they've decided is the other but really is just a fellow american who wants to just live a good life too hmm. and i might sound pollyannaish but I, I don't know how we get through to them because the me- the, the fear mongering messaging is winning.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, fear and hatred is 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 addictive, and you put somebody in a fear position, it has to occur to them at some point. I'm going to be the minority. I don't want young people to learn what white people have done wrong in the past because if i'm in the minority then i am vulnerable i i don't know yeah, I don't, to,
2: and the thing is is that
0: it's an irrational fear it's totally an irrational fear and it did yeah and it doesn't it doesn't make any sense and i am i'm very familiar with irrational fears you know because of my sexual assault i know what an irrational fear looks like and how you're like i can't go out and hang out with guys in uniform because why i don't know but i'm just so scared of that. And, you know, the ability to recognize it as a rational fear takes work and education and understanding. And, so, and
2: conversations with people who don't agree with you. And so I don't know how we do that. I don't have the answers. I know how to do it in a classroom with, with young people who are still open-minded about this stuff. It's, it's tougher when it's so baked into your identity. It's become your identity to be a part of this movement Guided by the great the Great Replacement theory, it's become who you are. It's become a cult, right? So I don't know how you get through to that, but but what's scary to me is how much it's taken over the one political party. It's you know, and it's like we talk about political party realignment a lot in history class because it's happened a number of times in our in our nation's history, and. I guess hindsight's 2020, 20, but I, I don't know, I guess we'll, we'll know one day how this all pans out, but I'm kind of terrified of, of, of the way the two-party system is realigning. Yeah.
0: No. And, and you I know. don't know about
2: you, but it, it It's scary to think about what the Republican Party's turned into.
0: Yeah, it is. I'm with you. I don't. uh, I I don't know what to do about it. Other than and generally, everything sort of boils back down to education, and that's why I think. And I have so much hope uh, for for the young people in this in this country. And I think there's just going to be some people whose minds you can't change, who are in their death throes, that are going to go out, kicking, kicking and punching and swinging, and that we just have to, I don't know, gird our loins and wait
2: and teach. I agree. And I think I perhaps I have a more optimistic view of the world because I know earlier I was saying I sound kind of Pollyanna-ish in my in my vision of the future and that people generally just want to be good and, and and live good lives and treat others kindly. And I think that probably comes from the fact that I'm around young people more than I'm around adults like ourselves right i'm laughing because it's 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 true and i will say that i spent a lot of time because for online learning i decided that since we didn't have a state test to prepare for i was going to take a deep dive into american civil rights history in a way that i never had be, been able to before and it was incredible and powerful and exciting and 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 i was a little concerned because there's so much triggering footage when you watch Eyes on the Prize. And there's no real happy ending if you look at, you know, what's going on in America today with with um, I mean, we've we've made many great strides in creating a more equal society, but we're not there yet. So I was concerned that I was perhaps not going to have the opposite effect on students. But I will say that after kids went on this very long journey into our civil rights history with me, they told me that they felt more empowered, more hopeful. Um, and they, they, they really want a society where everyone's voice is heard. They don't feel, my students who are BIPOC are not angry towards white people. And like, that's what this other group is trying to make it seem like watching all of this, right? I guess what I did was what they call critical race theory, but it's not, it's just teaching about civil rights history. And the outcome of that was my students did not come out of it hating white people. They came out of it saying, oh, you know what I recognize all the white people and and Indigenous people and other people who were part of the movement as well—that was their favorite part. So that gives me hope. They actually—they yeah. want—they want that. They want us to all join together. So that's our future. Now we just have to kind of deal with the leftovers who uh, really don't want that. I guess, sadly.
0: Well, and that's where my hope is too. Is that you know, for me, and I, I can I can speak about my own experiences, which are very different, and I understand that. But you know, with my. F- Irrational fears. You you eventually learn. Hey, nothing happened when when I did this. Oh, hey, it's I am safe. It's okay, and that's where my hope lies: is that maybe, maybe some of these folks, these kind of insurrectionist people, or people who, who at least have that fear embedded in them, but aren't the kind of people who would attack the Capitol and smear poop on the walls. Ugh. Maybe they'd be like, all right, well, I'm in the minority now, but. Everything's still the same. I still have all the rights I had before. Um, Nothing. No one took my job. And, huh. Okay. there's nothing to be afraid of. And and maybe they can only learn that from experience. But that's sort of that's kind of, I guess, where my hope is. And, you know, to understand that teaching the history of, of America isn't saying to you, Bill, the plumber in Texas, that you're a bad man because you're white it's saying we just have to reconcile what's happened in the past and move toward a better future. It's not about you personally, Bob.
2: Yeah. And I think I always frame the year too, by talking you about how race is a, is a man-made or human-made construct racism mm-hmm. created race. Right. And I think that's something, a basic, co- basic uh, conversation that needs to go in that toolkit when we talk about this, because that whole idea that if you teach about racism it's making people hate white people well then then if you frame it by saying racism is human made it's a it's it's created by historical forces it's created by it's created by human beings who wanted to keep their power who happened to be what they called white right and i think defining our terms that way from the start which is what every by the way i'm not specialist, but Every good social studies teacher does in different ways, depending if they're teaching kindergarten or high school. We we teach it that way. So if you're going into it understanding that even just race itself is actually something that human beings created to organize people and actually create power structures— That from the start, I think takes away that, that fear that we're teaching that because you happen to be white, you're the quote unquote bad person. That's not what we're teaching. And I think that, you know, I think I'm I'm paraphrasing someone who's far better known than me, but it's that idea that like I criticize, I think it's James Baldwin who says, you know, he criticizes America because he loves it. And I think that, you know, I think that unless, I think that to understand, fully understand where we are and appreciate where we are and make it a better country it, it it helps everyone to go back and look at the negative parts of what happened in America because we love it so much and we we really believe in the ideals that were were set forth by men who happened to also have slaves. I think we can we can do two things as educators, and I think we're not. I think the other thing that we're doing is that we're we're selling our, our, our young people short. Mm. We're, we're, we're assuming that young people, they're incapable of understanding complexity. And I know that even when I hang out with a seven-year-old, he understands complexity of human beings and, and finds the humor in that in his own childish way. And so I think that we're selling our young people short. And then we're also setting them up not for success and in, in creating... The America that I think we all want, regardless of if you're a Republican, a Democrat, uh, a <laughs> yeah. Tea Party—wasn't was, that? Regardless of your political party uh, affiliation, I think we, I think we can agree that we want to make an a, a, we want to make this a, a, a great America. Unless you have a lot of power, yeah. and you wanna kids
0: and people, you. people in general will rise to the level of the expectations you have for them. Uh, and so, if you if you underestimate them, I think that you're stunting their intellectual and emotional growth. Uh, and I think it was Cory Booker too, who said if, if America hasn't broken your heart, you don't love her enough. And oh God, it gets I me love every time.
2: That. I love uh,
0: you're going to talk <laughs> be talking about critical race theory a little bit later today. Tell us about that.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I'm so excited. I, as you mentioned earlier on, I host the PBS NewsHour extra educator series and well, you can imagine that K-12 through educators across the country are really looking to have a complex discussion about these bans on teaching divisive issues in social studies classrooms. So we have Fred Joseph joining us. Uh, He's the author of The Black Friend, and I'm sure you've seen him all over social media talking about all these really important issues. He's our guest. We're going to talk about quote unquote, critical race theory, but really teaching about anti-racism. Uh, I like mm-hmm. to call them anti-history laws and it'll be great. And even if you're not a, a classroom teacher or school staff member, you're, you're welcome to join us. And you can, I guess I'll tell you where to follow yeah, me. Yeah, where,
0: where, where, where the do links. they follow you? Where do they find the links?
2: So find, you can follow me on Twitter, Sari Beth, B-E-T-H, Rose. And I'm also Sari, B-E-T-H, Rose on Twitter. So Twitter and Instagram, same handle. And you can also follow NewsHour Extra. They'll definitely be promoting it today. Awesome. In preparation for tonight. Yeah.
0: All right. Follow you at Sari, S-A-R-I, Beth, B-E-T-H, Rose, R-O-S-E, Sari, Beth Rose. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you uh, giving us your insights on on definitions of what critical race theory is and what it is not. I I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, and thanks for having me on to discuss this because it's important.
0: It is. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hi, Beans listeners. It's Allison. And this segment of the show is sponsored by Monk Pack, who I love. They make delicious, healthy snacks. They contain close to no sugar. It's really tough finding healthy snacks. Healthy snacks have a really bad reputation. But I have been singing the praises. Everyone who knows me knows that I absolutely love Monk Pack. The Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars. They contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, 150 calories. That's it. And they're great for anyone who's following a keto lifestyle. They're keto friendly and they're the perfect snack. So I'm a snacker. I like to graze. So I keep these around the house because they really hit the spot. And you can cut, you know, cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. The monkpack keto nut and seed bars have a perfect balance of sweet and savory. They got a nice crunch, that crunch that you need from whole nuts and seeds. And they manage to be soft and chewy and delicious. And they have flavors like caramel sea salt and peanut butter dark chocolate. My favorite right now, it was caramel sea salt. Now I'm on to peanut butter dark chocolate. They're all so good. And since they're packed with protein, they're filling and satisfying. I don't do post-workout protein shakes anymore. I just grab one of these. And they are non-GMO, plant-based, gluten-free, no soy, no trans fats, no sugars or alcohols, and no artificial colors. I love these so much. Uh, And I signed up for a subscription. So that saves me 10% on every order, and they come to my house automatically. Getting these delicious treats delivered to me on a regular basis has been a game changer in my effort to eat healthier, I'm telling you. Try it for yourself and you'll see. And We have a special deal. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering our code DailyBeans at checkout. Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product for you or they'll refund your money, whichever you prefer. So there's no risk here. To get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product and then enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word at checkout to save 20% off your first purchase. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And today's show is also brought to you by Context Travel. I am so stoked the world is opening up for travel again. And if you're like me, you're already planning your next vacation. But I found the absolute best place to start the journey. It's context learning. With context, I'm already learning about the destinations I'm going to visit. It's like getting insider knowledge of the go-to places for your next big trip before you even hop on the plane. Context runs live expert-led virtual tours and lectures and courses from around the globe. You can go to 60 cities virtually across six continents, visiting the world's cultural and historical capitals and sites. I'm excited for this. The last time I got a chance to travel overseas, I learned so much about history and my family history. And I got to explore new places. It's always been such an amazing learning experience. But the best part about context is you get to skip the line and you get to go with an expert. On any given day, you can uncover ancient Rome with an archaeologist or go behind the velvet rope at the Louvre with an art expert all from the comfort of your home. There's a variety of tour durations as well. You can take a half-day tour or a short lecture of a couple hours, or you can have a seven-day-plus tour. Check out their website to read some testimonials like this one from Mim in Denver, who said, We have both been so impressed with context from our initial learning about the company and tours available via your website, to the timely and well-orchestrated communication throughout the process to your incredible guides in each city. Daily Beans listeners, if you love travel and learning as much as I do, you're going to love this, because for a limited time when you buy one virtual tour, you get a second tour free when you use promo code DailyBeans, all one word, at ContextLearning.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-X-T Learning.com. And just use promo code DailyBeans, all one word. Again, that's ContextLearning.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Oh, I can't even. There there, there wasn't enough text for me to not see this first photo.
1: Yeah, we both got a, a sneak preview. Oh, my
0: God. All right. Well, I mean, before there's okay. so much floof. I know. Before I get to Lisa's <laughs> submission here, I just want to let everybody know if you have good news, confessions, corrections, misheard lyrics, shared swears, find the cat, happy places, what the mutt. Whatever you're into, send it to us at DailyBeansPod.com and click on contact. We'll be happy to read these on the air. Unless you want to remain anonymous, you can just tell us that in that little thing that you fill out. and We will love to hear from you. First up, oh my God, oh my God. From Lisa, pronoun she and her. So what the mutt is going on here? <laughs> his name is Chewy Chubelius. He's a Latin scholar in his spare time off from being the goodest boy ever. Oh my God. And he's clearly
1: 75% Ewok oh and there's no mixed with corgi there's no answers yeah so i'm gonna it's a corgi walk it's a corgi walk i'm gonna say yeah let's see
0: uh, i'm gonna say poodle schnauzer i'm gonna say schnauzer uh, no, Dachshund. <gasps> schnauzer dachshund a schnau a schnaushund. that's a very german dog uh poodle i see poodle
1: Oh, my God. You know what? It's just it is really this, this dog. Little... I would just stay home all day. I would get I would have no income.
0: <laughs> I know I could see his tail wagging, even oh though goodness, it's a still picture. You.
1: you want to take the next one? That was super short.
0: Ah, oh, sure. Uh, I got it. From Melissa, pronouns she and her. Hearing you ladies laugh and have a great time today was so refreshing and lovely. That's right. Yesterday's (laughs) was so funny. Exactly the pick-me-up I needed today. And sad that I'm so used to the shit show that has been life lately, realizing that this podcast really can be uplifting and fun. Laughter really is the best medicine and so nice to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Keep on keeping on, ladies. For tax, I give you the six inches of sleeping space my boys (laughs) left me. This is... This is Toby up top and Stanley below. Hashtag we love the office. Oh my
1: goodness, because there's clearly someone on the other side of that bed. So that's what she gets. <laughs> that's what Melissa gets. Oh my God. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yesterday's episode, I needed it. That's for sure. This one's from Anonymous, pronouns she and hers. Some sort of good news and then a request of you lovely ladies. The pandemic has been very hard on my mental health and on my waistline, which is, which is doubly hard on my mental health. I've been nominally trying to drink less alcohol and eat more cleanly for forever, but in the last three months, the pounds piled on over ten in three months. I've been chastising myself for a lack of willpower, etc. But a few days ago, crystallized. A medication I started taking at the end of March is known to cause weight gain. It wasn't my fault. While not being able to squeeze into my clothes that fit three months ago sucks, I have a path forward. I talked to my doc who agreed that I can taper off the meds. So I feel like I've got a new starting point. I'm eagerly planning my healthy meals with more optimism. Mm. And today I went on a run. I huffed and I puffed, sweat a lot and walked some, but in 30 minutes, I ran 2.4 miles. Nice. Hell yes now onto the request i've gotten back into playing animal crossing and i know there are a few folks on the discord server me included who'd love to get a regular using group of folks back on i restarted my island so i'm low on super cool recipes and fair furniture Uh, so those of us still kissing up to our villagers would love to have a plug for the patreon animal crossing server yeah Yes, I'm sending photos of two monarch butterflies who were going to town on milkweed. I got to help support butterflies, and then there's a butterfly chasing Dago, who I caught just as a ball distracted her from making sure my son was safe in a pool. Oh my god! Okay, so we have the monarch caterpillars
0: tent going to town on the milkweed. Oh, this duh. is just
1: crazy! I, I, <laughs> oh my god, how funny! Oh, that's a nice pool. Very nice pool. Beautiful dog. Gorgeous sun. All of it. Oh, so cute. The dog chasing a butterfly.
0: That's so fun. Yeah. Overload. Adorable overload. Uh, next up from anonymous pronoun she and her. Thank you for continuing to reassure this Canadian that Americans haven't all gone bananas. <laughs> well, most of us. Uh, it's important. It's an important service you provide. Here are some misheard lyrics from my house. Back in the day, I used to ride a bike back and forth from university to home with a guy from my village. It was a three hour commute each way. And luckily, he was a good friend, made great conversation and listened to excellent music. During those long drives, he introduced me to some classic rockers that I'd only had minimal exposure to previously. Think Grateful Dead, Rolling Stones. I was more of a Beatles gal. One song in particular appealed to me and I would crank it up each time it came on and sing along. I see a red dog and I want it painted black. (laughs) (laughs) I see a red red
1: dog
2: and I want to paint it black.
0: He was too nice to ever correct me. It was only years later I realized it was a door and not a dog that the Stones wanted to paint black. <laughs> Fast forward a few more years. I was a mom with two young kids. They would be strapped in their car seats. I played the soundtrack from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Awesome. Laughing along when they sang and butchered the lyrics. Let's do the time warp again became. Let's do time on the hill. <laughs> it made <Nice>. no sense. <laughs> But who am I to correct misheard lyrics listening to the Wizard of Oz? They would sing. We're off to see the river, the river behind behind. <laughs> yeah, Of course, <laughs> guess we're all happy to assume lyrics make no sense. I make no apologies for exposing my kids to musical theater. They're both all grown up now and it's still my daughter's genre of choice. But I did have to stop playing Les Mis for a while when I overheard my then five year old son playing in his bedroom singing. I smell women, smell them in the air. <laughs> Oh of dear! The, of all the times for one of them to get the lyrics right. <laughs> <laughs> for pet tax, here's my 10-year-old Hazel. You won't have any trouble guessing her breed. This spring, she has undergone knee surgery to repair both cranial cruciate ligaments. Ooh, that's the equivalent of ACL surgery for humans. Owie. Two weeks after the second knee repair, she's strong and steady and ready to go, go, go. We all have our work cut out for, her, for us holding her back for the full 8 to 12 re- recovery period. Yeah, I know that one. For other dog parents out there facing this surgery, let Hazel give you hope. We have no regrets and look forward to having our active, joyful dog fully back to herself by fall. Oh, and she's Ooh. a
1: beautiful lamb. She's gorgeous. She like a bandana. Indeed. Me too. All right. Uh, this is from Heather, pronouns she and her. I just got back from a fully vaccinated beach trip with my husband's family and it was divine As an only child, I've always loved the siblings I inherited as a result of marrying my bestie. I missed our fun and hijinks more than I ever realized in the last year. My heart is happy and full, even seven fantastic days of sunshine, delicious food, and laughs. No pet tax photo today, but my sweet doggo, Gracie Lou Furbush, (laughs) fucking love it, is beside me enjoying some rainy day snuggles.
0: I remember Gracie Lou Furbush, Heather please uh, describe your perfect date. I would say April 25th because it's not too hot and it's not too cold. All you need is a
1: light jacket. (laughs) I'm just going to team up and she's going to hit him, people. That's what we're doing today. (laughs) Uh,
0: Next up from just some pseudo intellectualist punk pronouns he and him. Ah, yes, just some. I remember you. Good news, leguminati. For the past two years, I was working for a wonderful boss under a micromanaging, power-tripping CEO who made everyone's life miserable. My good news is that I got fired in January. (laughs) I'm starting a new job next week, and my old boss is suing the CEO for all the bullshit he's had to endure over the past several years. He made the front page of our local paper. Headline, salacious accusations prompt company to put CEO on leave. I guess the lesson here is not to
1: force your employees to guard your sex tent. (laughs) Shut your mouth. You buried the lead just some I know. Now I have to open this up. Hold on.
0: What is even happening? Oh, look at this douche. All right. It says the top executive at Servotronics has been placed on paid leave as the Elma manufacturer conducts an internal investigation and allegations that Kenneth Turbovich sexually harassed employees and used his company expense account to pay for trips with women. In a lawsuit filed last week in state Supreme Court in Buffalo, upper level employee alleged Turbovich forced male employees to visit brothels and strip clubs and engage with prostitutes while on business trips paid for by Servotronics and its subsidiaries.
1: (gasps) (gasps) Big story.
0: Servotronics has appointed the company's number two executive, James Takax, to take over Turbovich's duties. One of the company's investors, Montana Advisors, Wednesday wrote to Servotronics directors demanding the company be put up for sale. <laughs> oh God! Perone is seeking five million in damages from Servotronics, its directors, and Turbovich. Turbovich has engaged in a pervasive pattern of severely offensive and relentless sexual harassment of male employees, like Perone, among other unlawful, discriminatory, and retaliatory conduct. Whew. Damn, that's a hell Damn, of a story, that's
1: right? I guess the lesson here is not to force your employees to guard your sex tent.
0: Yeah, I'm looking for the word sex tent. Yeah, here we go. In a lawsuit filed last week, Perone's lawsuit alleged Turbovich forced Perone to attend a pagan bonding ceremony between <laughs> Turbovich and a woman. <laughs> During a business trip to Ohio to evaluate a potential acquisition, Perrone alleged that after the ceremony, he was tasked with standing guard outside Turbovich's tent while he engaged in sexual activity
1: with the woman. I'm sorry we're making fun of this because obviously the the content is just very unsettling and not okay, but all of this is...
0: Oh, my God. What a a pile of shit. It
1: goes down for a long time. Same. Okay. All right. We're get a good one to end with. Oh, do, oh no, not, we're not done yet. All right. This one's from, I believe it's Adri pronounced she and her. Hello, legume goddesses. So first things first, you're all fucking amazing. There's no other podcast I listened to before yours. Nope. Not even Rachel Madhouse, honestly you're all that good. Oh Yeah. There's so many good things to say about you all that I may get a bit repetitive. I love the way you deliver the news and break stuff down. So it's a bit easier to process. Dr. Gill, you'd be one hell of a lawyer. Dana and Amy are fucking great. I'm going to read this part real slow. (laughs) Dana and Amy (laughs) are fucking great. And whoever thought of adding those two national treasures to the pod is a fucking genius. Back to you, A.G. I have a misheard <laughs> lyric of sorts. Back in the early 90s, there was a TV jingle for a car dealership. What I and many more people apparently heard was. Yes. Pussy cow, pussy cow, pussy cow. This
0: is Cal Worthington's Dodge in North San Diego. I know this. I know this from my childhood. It's yes. uh, uh, go see cow, go see cow, go see cow. But we all said pussy cow, pussy cow, pussy cow. Mm-mm.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, maybe we should save that one for you. Uh so there you have it. For the pet tax, I offer my doggo niece. Her name is Valkyrie, aka fur missile. Fur missile. Yeah goodness. Oh, she's beautiful. God, what a gorgeous dog. Is she a Malinois or a Shepherd? I think it's a German Shepherd.
0: Both either way, just absolutely beautiful. But I can see fur missile for sure. For sure. Valkyrie. That's the flight of the Valkyries. Uh, thank you for the kind words. And Dana and Amy are fucking great.
1: And whoever decided to hire me is also a fucking genius.
0: Well, I hired Amy, but, you know, I I <laughs> didn't. I, I, it was actually, uh, you know, our manager who True. was like, hey, you should try out. And I was like, uh eh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I never heard this story, but I think that's true. And you're like, I don't want to bring someone else on. Maybe she can do the good news for a day a week. It is not true. I was you know totally how this started, stoked. people? You know that's how it started. I was doing the good news for one day a week, and then look at this shit. Four days a week, I'm co-hosting.
0: Uh, yeah, no, it, it went down pretty much, as she said. You were fucking <laughs> amazing. Uh, finally, from pronoun She and Her from Anonymous, I've certainly been known for my use of swearing, but I have 14 grandkids, so I try to curb the urge to swear. I instead say things like, mother, father, in lieu of motherfucker. One that I commonly use is, ah, fooey one day my four-year-old grandson inquired mama is ah fooey a bad word i told him it was a substitute word for a bad word that sounds much nicer without missing a beat he said i know motherfucker is a bad word (laughs) my dad says we can't say motherfucker because motherfucker is a bad word (laughs) i bet he said motherfucker 20 times
1: in this conversation i love it i love it (laughs) <laughs> i love how he could say it to you it's so hard too right you just have to keep a straight face because if you laugh it's coming out again
0: i know i know wt fuck
1: oh so good so good that was a fun good news segment
0: that was really really great um thank you all anything you want to submit please do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact and uh, that's it anything you want to say before we get out of here dana i got nothing I will be back in your ears tomorrow. Same, same with me. And uh, until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. And Louis Gomert is dumb. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. And then's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants,